Well, if you've been with us, um, last week we started a new series um, called Elements. And last week we covered our first element about joy and how joy works in the life of a believer. And we came to an understanding that joy is part of a spiritual gift and spiritual fruit that the Lord is working in our lives. And as we understand how joy is working, as we submit ourselves and we yield ourselves to the working of God, the working of the Holy Spirit, He gives us that joy. And it's nothing that we do ourselves. It's either you have it or you don't. And this morning we're going to continue in looking at another element here about grace. And if there's one thing I I want to stress throughout maybe this whole series is the importance of allowing Jesus Christ to work in your heart, work in your life. It is so very important for that. Paul's prayer for the Christians at the Church of Ephesians was, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation So that you may know him better. You have to think throughout your life, you only have a certain amount of time. If you live past a certain amount of time, it's it's almost like that is God's gift to you. And you think your life is so short. And you have this amount of time here and now to know the Lord through his word. Because one day, yes, you will spend an eternity with him. But to know him now here, that is something that Paul prays for, that we may know the Lord better, that we may know him more, that we may know him more passionately. And this is what we are to be striving for, to know Christ better, to know how he's working in our heart, to know how he's working in our life. You see, it is the work of the Holy Spirit that we come to know Christ better in conjunction with his word. As we read his word, the Holy Spirit works in our heart and he reveals Christ to us. If you can remember when Jesus with, uh, with his disciples, he was asking, he says, who do people say that I am? And some people said, well, you're Elias or you're John, you're this, you're that. And he said, no, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you. But he says, my father, which is in heaven, has revealed that to you. And it comes down to a point when we are reading God's word that the word of God comes alive and it reveals Christ to us. And it shows us who he is and it enables us to know more about him, to grow closer to him, to become more passionate about who he is. So this morning we come to our second element of the Christian life and we're going to examine grace. Many things can be said about grace. Some have said, using an acronym, uh, using each letter representing a different word about grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. I think that's wonderful. I think that's great. All of us are familiar with the hymn, Amazing Grace, written in 1779 by John Newton. Or you're more familiar with the other hymn uh, that Elvis Presley did in 1972. Either way, Amazing Grace, we all know about it. Some people have said this about grace, that grace is free, sovereign favor to the ill-deserving. Other people have said that grace is love that cares and stoops 
and rescues. Some others have said that grace is God reaching downward to people who are in rebellion against him. Another person has said that grace is unconditional love toward a person who does not deserve it. No matter your Christian background, no matter where you've been in life, all of us have heard this word of grace. And if you are a Christ follower, you have experienced that in a real way of Christ reaching down, Christ giving favor, whatever the case may be, you have experienced grace in a real way. But how does grace operate within the Christian life? Is grace only good enough for salvation? Does grace extend into our relationship with Jesus, with others, into eternity? How much of an impact does grace have on our lives? If we didn't have grace, how much different would our lives be? Do we live in grace? Do we exercise grace? Do we desire grace for others? Do we seek and pursue after grace in our lives? I believe that all of these are very valid questions as we look at this uh, word grace. Grace is most needed and best understood in the midst of sin. I can't tell you how many times in my life that when it seems that I have failed, when it seems that sin has overtaken my life, that it seems that grace has become something that I want to turn to and make available in my own life. It's understood when we have suffering and brokenness in our life. We live in a world of earning and deserving that I get this because of this. That is why everyone wants and needs grace. Because grace is freely given. Not based upon merit, not based upon deed, not based upon anything you or I could ever do or say. You see, grace is the opposite of karma. Karma is getting what you deserve, right? You know, the guy uh, cuts you off and you're like, yep, he's going to get what's coming to him. But grace is the opposite of that. Grace, we would never come to Christ in the first place without it. This is where we need to take the next step in our Christian walk life and our faith walk with Christ is understanding that moving from, yes, I have trusted Jesus Christ because of grace, to now I am living my life in grace and I'm walking in grace. And I'll show you a few things here this morning, how we can understand how grace is supposed to be working in our life. So we'll take here just for a few moments and discover the grace that we desperately need to be at work in our lives. So I want to show you a few things about this grace. What do we know about grace? Well, I believe there's a fundamental understanding and a misunderstanding of grace. A lot of people understand what grace is for, but then a lot of people misunderstand what grace is for. They misappropriate what grace is for, or they don't use grace in their life. You see, grace is not about us. Grace is not about you. It's not about me. Grace is fundamentally a word about God. And it's the fact that God is giving his unmerited favor towards you. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about God. 
You see, this simple definition does not do justice to the richness of this biblical understanding of what grace is. That it's unmerited favor. You see, in grace, God gives nothing less than himself. Jesus Christ is grace. God gave Jesus to us and when we didn't deserve it. Grace, then, is not a third thing or a substance mediating between God and sinners, but it is Jesus Christ in action. As Jesus proved himself, as he died on the cross for us, Jesus extended, God extended that grace towards us. So let's look at a few things about grace. Well, it gives us our identity. In 1 Corinthians 15.10, it says this, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. It gives us our identity. It also gives us our standing before God. Romans 5.2 says, Through him... We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Another thing about grace is it tells us about our living. In Romans 5.17, it tells us this. Through him, we have also, excuse me, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. It also tells us in 1 Peter 3, 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. So that your prayers may not be hindered. We also learn about grace that it's our holiness. 2 Timothy 1.9 it says, Who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works but because of his own purpose and grace. Which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. It also tells us about grace that it is our strength for living. 2 Timothy 2.1 says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In Hebrews 13.9, it tells us, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. It tells us that grace is our speech, our way of speaking. Colossians 4, 6, it says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. We also learn about grace that it is our serving. In 1 Peter 4, 10, it says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And we also learn about our grace, that it is our sufficiency. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. As Paul is asking the Lord, Lord, I have this infirmity in my life. I have this weakness. I have this thing that's bothering me. And he goes to the Lord in prayer, and God says, My grace is sufficient for you, Paul. He says, My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
And in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, he says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So there's an understanding about grace. Here's a few more. We learn that it is our response to difficulty and suffering. Grace is at work in that. Listen to what Hebrews 4.16 says. It says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace in help in the time of need. In 1 Peter 5.10 he says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. This is God's grace at work in our lives. We also learn about grace that it is our participation in God's mission. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, we are to continue in grace. In Acts chapter eleven twenty three, it says, When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Acts thirteen forty three. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts of Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, Urge them to continue in the grace of God. We are supposed to be testifying of the grace of God. In Acts 20, 24, he writes here, But I do not account of my life of any value, nor as a precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And we also find about our grace that it is our future. Listen to 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we find that it is our hope beyond death. You think about this. When people go to a funeral that do not know the Lord... There's no hope there beyond the grave. But listen to what Romans 5.21 says. It says, So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no doubt about it at all that the gospel is all about God's grace. Throughout all of scripture, that's all you find is the grace of God revealing itself to us. That's why Paul calls it the gospel of the grace of God in Acts 20.24. And he calls it the word of his grace in Acts 14.3. And so the gospel of the grace of God is the message that every single person needs. All of us need. The last verse of the Bible pretty much summarizes up about the grace of God. Listen to what it says in Revelation twenty-two twenty-one. It says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Through Jesus, we have all received this grace. John writes in, in his gospel that we have received grace upon grace. Think about that. Unmerited favor Stacked right on top of unmerited favor. That's what we have. We have received 
grace. But with everything that the Bible has to say about grace, why is grace so misunderstood? Why is it so misused and misrepresented? I want to give you an example about this. Why do we misunderstand grace? Okay, Give you an illustration about this. We're going to have a good day and a bad day. Here's your good day. It starts out. Okay, You're a believer. You know Jesus Christ is your Savior. Picture this in your mind. The alarm clock goes off. You get up promptly. You get ready. You spend your morning time in prayer and, and spend time with the Lord. And it just seems like everything's meshing together. I mean, everything's going well, going swimmingly together. You get to work, man, you're, you're working, you're productive, you got things going on, everything is, everything is fine. Then, by chance, God gives you an opportunity. You have a, a coworker or a friend or something. They come up to you and they say, hey, I, I, I got a question about, about the Bible. I got a question about Jesus. This person doesn't know the Lord. And the Lord gives you this perfect opportunity to witness to them. And you're going, yeah, all right, man. The grace of God is at work in my life. God has been gracious to me. Look, everything's going well in my life. That's the good day, okay? Here's the bad day. Alarm clock goes off. Finally, you jump out of bed, you rush, you try to get all ready. You skip your morning time with the Lord in prayer and and through the reading of his word. And it just seems like, man, things are not going well. It seems like as the day continues to move on, the more and more you become irritated and irritated with people and with problems and everything. And then, to top it off, here comes a friend and asks you a question about the Bible, asks you a question about God, about eternity, about Christ. This person wants to know the Lord. Now, out of those two situations, which one do you feel you would be more able to talk to that person about Christ? The good day or the bad day? All of us would say the good day, wouldn't we? All of us would say, yeah, absolutely. I mean, everything was just meshing right. Everything was fine. Everything was doing good. Everything was working out. Would you be less confident on the bad day rather than the good day? I probably would. Would you find it difficult to believe that God would bless you and use you in the midst of a rather bad day? You see, these scenarios can all be played out in a very different kinds of ways in our life. It doesn't have to be exactly like that. Does God work that way? No, he does not. Why then do we think like this? You see, it is because we believe that God's blessing on our lives is somehow conditional upon our spiritual performance. If we performed well and had a good day, then most likely we're going to think, oh yeah, that means that God is going to give us all these things. He's going to make sure that all these things work out for my benefit. And the same thing with the bad day. We somehow think that, yeah, if things aren't going well and if I didn't do this and I didn't do that, somehow God's not necessarily going to bless me for my benefit of things that I have done or have not done. You see, we all know that God's blessings come through Jesus Christ. But we also have this super spiritual idea that somehow, some way, 
that we contribute to those blessings. We contribute to them based upon our spiritual performance or even by our behavior. You see, this thinking gets much worse because in our bad day example, you know what we do? We think that we are not worthy enough to be able to witness for the Lord because we didn't spend time in prayer, because we didn't spend time in his word. And somehow, some way we think, you know what? God really can't use me in this instance. And I'm not worthy enough to be blessed of God's blessings. You see, this is how grace is misunderstood in all of our lives. Because, see, we are saved by grace, but we earn or forfeit by God's blessings in our daily lives by our performance. And that's the thinking that we have. But I want to give you something to think about. We are saved by grace, and we live by grace. It's not, I'm saved by grace, and then... God's blessings are based upon my spiritual performance and my behavior. We live in that same exact grace. You see, in the bad day example, we have done everything wrong and feeling very guilty. What should we do in that instance? We should pray. We should turn to God and we should say, God, there's some things in my life and I I realize that, that things are not right. And we turn to God for the use of his grace. Because the Bible tells us very plainly that we are supposed to go boldly to that throne of grace. And we are supposed to petition the Lord. We need his grace in our life. You see, when our sins confront us and they say, you are not worthy enough. What does Romans 8.1 tell us? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Sin cannot say anything about you. Because we are no longer in condemnation In Christ Jesus. Hebrews 9.14 says. How much more will the blood of Christ. Who through the eternal spirit. Offered himself to God. Without spot. Or without blemish. To purify our conscience. From dead works. To serve the living God. You see we are acknowledged to God. That we are wicked. The problem. Is not with the sins. That we have committed. But it's the fact that our hearts are sinful. And we express to God that it's through Jesus that we have the ability to receive his grace. And it's through Jesus that we have been forgiven. It's through Jesus that through his suffering and through the death on his cross, we have received that forgiveness of sins. And we experience his grace. We experience his grace because of the judgment that he so rightly took for us. He can now give us that grace. But what about our good day example then? Well, you did everything right. Spiritually speaking, you're satisfied with your performance that day. Everything is meshing together. Everything's going well. But based upon your performance, the question then is, because of your performance, have you now earned God's blessings? Have you somehow, in a way, been able to manipulate God into thinking that, God, I deserve this because of these things that I have done? Will God be pleased to bless you because you have been good? No way. It doesn't work that way. God doesn't work in that situation. But the question then arises, well, but doesn't God use clean vessels? 
I mean, aren't we supposed to be clean and, and, and useful for the master's use? Okay, let me ask you this question. Then how good is good enough? I mean, if we want to go down that road, how good is good enough? There was a story that we learn about in God's word and a uh, Pharisee came to Jesus and he was asking Jesus basically that question, how good is good enough? He said, he said, master, what is the greatest commandment in all of the Bible? I really want to know what do you think is the greatest commandment? And what did Jesus tell him? Help me out here. He told him to what? Love God and what? Love others. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Okay. If Jesus said that that is the greatest commandment, and if that is what we are supposed to be living by, to be clean or to be a useful vessel, then how well did you score this past week on that? If we took a 100% grading scale, okay, 50-50, for one, 50% of the other, where would you fall in that grading scale? Did you love God with all of your heart this past week? Did you love others as yourself this past week? You see, God doesn't grade on a curve. He doesn't say, okay, you know, you did kind of good, so we'll kind of give you like a 90% here, so you're good. You see, when we use that standard, how good has your day been, we haven't really perfectly kept all of the commandments. Does God give a passing grade if you only keep one of those commandments? No. It's not possible. Jesus said, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. James tells us, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point is guilty of breaking all of it. The point is this, and I want you to understand this. Regardless of our performance, our spiritual performance in life, regardless of that, we are always dependent upon God's grace in our life. You see, because some days we may be more aware of our need of his grace in our lives, but there is never a day when we can stand before God and basically stand to him him on our own merit, on our own two feet and say, God, I deserve this because of my spiritual performance. We don't deserve his blessing. We're not worthy enough to deserve his blessings. You see, Jesus fully satisfied God's justice and penalty for sin. He fully paid the penalty for the broken law which we have all committed. All of our sin was placed upon Jesus Christ. Can you say that word all? All. means all. All of it. Every single sin that you have committed, will commit, ever will commit, past, present, future, all of our sin was placed upon Jesus. And he took our sin Colossians 2.13 says this, He forgave us all our sins. Now you say, wait a minute, Mike. Wait a minute. I see what you're doing there. I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to pull a fast one on us here. Are you saying now that God doesn't care about if we sin or not? Are you saying that he doesn't care if we live in sin, practice sin? Are you trying to say that we have a license to sin? Absolutely not. The scriptures teach us in Ephesians 4.30 that we can grieve the Holy Spirit by our sins. Paul wrote in Romans 6, should we continue to live in sin that, that grace may abound? God forbid. 
Paul prayed that we may please God in every single way in Colossians chapter 2.13. So God obviously, he cares about our performance on how we live. So how are we supposed to reconcile those two things together then? Meaning, if, if God's blessings are not based upon my spiritual performance in life... How am I supposed to reconcile? Am I just supposed to say, well, it's okay. I mean, God's grace is God's grace. I really don't have to do anything. No. How do we reconcile those two things together? Here, this is what we have here, okay? We have our sins. We have our life. We have it's all messed up. It's broken. Everything is, is, is defeated and it's, it's trash. It's a train wreck. Over here, we have Jesus Christ. He's perfect. He's, the Father is pleased by him. And in the middle, you know what happens? Those two meet at the cross. And it's at the cross that we experience God's grace in a real way. It is through the cross of Jesus Christ. I want to give you a thing here. How good is good enough? Well, we learned Matthew 22, we are saved by grace and we live by grace, as what Romans 5, 2 tells us through the word there. I want to give you this verse here. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 to 2 says this. If you faithfully obey, being careful to do all of his commandments, these blessings shall come upon you. Now, this is how Christians, a lot of Christians live. This is in the law. If you faithfully obey, being careful to do all of his commandments, these blessings shall come upon you. But look what it says here in Deuteronomy 28, 15. Now, this is very, very interesting. He says, but if you will not obey or be careful to do all of his commandments and his statutes, then all these curses shall come upon you. Now, this is important, and I I don't want you to miss this. Okay, Many Christians live this way. If I don't obey, the curse is going to come upon me. If I do obey, all the blessings are going to come upon me. What's the problem with that? Let me give you another verse here. And I believe this helps us understand this more clearly. Galatians chapter 3.24 says this. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. In order that we might be justified by faith. See, what we need to understand is when Jesus came, the law was saying, you have to do this. Because when Christ came, what did Christ do? He became the curse for us. He became sin for us. He took upon himself the law that was broken and he paid that debt for us. And so we are saved by his grace and we are to live by his grace. And so if this is true, that our relationship with God is based upon grace and not upon by performance, why do we consciously still live in this vicious cycle thinking that I have to perform in order to receive God's blessings in my life of this good day, bad scenario that plays itself out every single day of our lives? It's primarily because we have left out the gospel in our life. Let me show you what I mean by this. Take a look what here. Here's a timeline of your life, okay? You have birth. 
and you have a moment of salvation. Okay? And that time in between there, you are an unbeliever. You don't know Christ. But then something happens right in the middle between those two. Okay? The cross, salvation. You hear of Jesus and you hear about the great things that he can do for you and what, what he has done for you. And so what happens? You turn from your sin and you trust Christ as your Savior. And now from that moment until death, you are living life as a believer. So regardless of your age or when you trusted Christ, there has been a definitive time in your life when you turn from sin and you trusted Christ. And that cross is what became that dividing line between when you were an unbeliever and you were a believer. Okay? There has to be that time. You don't just kind of like one day like, oh, yeah, I just kind of sort of like, you know, I became a Christian one day. Like, you know, I don't know. It was kind of weird. I don't know really what happened. No. There was a definitive time in your life when you turned from Christ, when you turned from your sin and you trusted Christ as your Savior. So with this timeline in mind, the time from your birth to the moment of salvation, what is the one word that you can primarily think about that, may, that you may have had to hear in order to be saved? What is that one word you can think of? How are people saved? It's through the what? The gospel, absolutely, okay? So it's that gospel that you heard, okay? That gospel is what transformed you. It's the gospel that did the work in your heart that the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. And so that gospel is that good news that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried and the third day he rose again. And we believe that. And through that gospel, God then gave us his grace so that we could become sons and daughters of the king. So now that we've become a believer, what do you think is the one word now that describes your Christian life? Jesus uh, pretty much gave uh, this, uh, the Great Commission to us in five parts, in uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and in the book of Acts. But what do you think he says? He says that we are to go out and preach the gospel, making what? Disciples, okay? Now, within that word about disciples, okay, the word discipleship, that covers a, a many, many things. For example, it could cover things such as disciplines in our life whether we're praying, reading our Bible, going to church. It can cover things such as holiness. It can cover things such as uh, our service to the Lord. And so all of these things are disciples, disciplines in our life, discipleship that now mark our life. Here's the problem that we, that we do in our life. We have left out the gospel for our life. We say, yes, the gospel is important, and it's po- important for the unbeliever. And we say, yes, the gospel is important because we receive grace and we, we become saved. But now that I'm saved, I'm a disciple and I have to do all of these things in order for God to bless me in my life. Here's all the disciplines in my life. Going to church, reading your Bible, praying, whatever you want to put in there about your life, about being a believer, about being in discipleship, about being a disciple of the Lord. And this is where we misunderstand grace because we have left out the gospel for our life now. We say it's good enough for the unbeliever, but we don't really need it now in our life. You see, the problem with that thinking is that 
Because even on our good days, even on our good days when everything is working, everything is going well, all of our goodness is still filthy rags. Listen to what Isaiah wrote here. He says, we are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, here's my church attendance, here's my Bible reading, here's my prayer, here's my service to you, God. When we display our righteousness, our righteous deeds, he says that they are nothing but filthy rags. He says, like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and all our sins sweep us away like the wind. You see, there is something more basic than discipleship for the believer that gives us the opportunity in which we can actually practice all of our Christian virtues. And that one word is the gospel. You see, we still need the gospel in our lives. You say, what do you mean by that? meaning the fact that we need to constantly remind ourselves about the gospel. We need to continually preach the gospel to ourselves. Because when we, when we preach the gospel to ourselves, we take our, the focus off of what I have done, and we put our focus back on what he has done. And we look towards Christ and we say, Christ, I am not good enough to be able to live the Christian life without you. And that's when God says, I'm going to give you more of my grace. And he pours it out upon our lives. You see, the gospel is the meaningful for us only to the extent that we realize and acknowledge that we are still sinful. Although we are new creations in Christ Jesus, we still sin every single day, every single one of us. We do it in our words. We do it in our actions. We do it in our deeds. And we even do it in our motives. We still sin every single day. And that's why we still need the grace of God every single day. So to benefit from the gospel and live in grace, we still need to acknowledge that we are still sinners. So how then are we to live in this grace-centered life then as a believer with our feeling that I deserve God's blessings or guilt of I didn't meet up to God's standard or God's expectations based upon my performance Well, here it is for us, living in grace. 2 Corinthians 5, 14, verse 15 through 15 says this, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, there it is, spiritual performance, but for him who died for them and was raised again. You see, Paul gives us the understanding of how to live in grace now, that we are a believer. How do we do that, Paul? He says in verse 15 that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him. But to what extent is that that will help us to live not unto ourselves? I mean, how do you not live for yourself? I mean, we all like ourselves, do we not? We do. We love ourselves. We think we're hot stuff. We're all that in a bag of chips. How do we get away from that? Look what Paul says in this verse. For Christ's love compels us. That's how we do it. His love has to compel us. You say, what do you mean? 
Meaning the fact that it is Christ's love that urges us or drives us forward by strong moral pressure. It is through Christ's love that he is for me that presses me on all sides, wrapping itself around me in tenderness and giving me a motive not to live for myself, but to live for him. Notice in the verse what Paul says his motive was to live for Christ. He says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who should live should attend church more. Should pray more. Should read your Bible more. Should do more spiritual disciplines. No. He says it is the love of of Christ, the gospel. In Romans 5, 5, it says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, our love for Christ is brought about by reminding, by preaching, by remembering of Christ's sacrifice on the cross for us. And as we remember that... As we meditate upon that, as we read about it, as we remind ourselves about what Jesus did, that he died for a, for a sick, lost human being like me, it reminds us of the love that he has for me. And the Holy Spirit pours out that love in our heart. And we turn and we say, I can't live for myself anymore. I want to live for Jesus. And that grace is transformed into our lives. And it takes the attention off me about my spiritual disciplines, about my good day and my bad day. And it says, you know what? God's grace is sufficient no matter what, no matter what the day is. Because I'm going to live by grace. I'm going to choose to live by grace because of what God has done for me. So are you living in grace? Are you practicing grace in your life? Are you reminding yourself of the grace of God through the gospel? The gospel reminds us that we are in need of God's grace every single day of our lives. It also reminds us that through even though our sinful failures, we are forgiven in Christ. Not because we are good, but because we are in Christ. Let's pray together. 